So far, we have discussed certain qualities which characterize the best groups. Quality control, mutual loyalty, integrity, fairness, the assurance that members will be valued as individuals, and play. Now let's turn to some specific techniques which a leader can use to enhance the team spirit we've been describing. Number 1. Reward Cooperation Some organizations are structured so that if you are a part of a working group that produces strong results, you may get nothing. If, on the other hand, you torpedo the success of others in order to chalk up personal achievements, you are praised. Obviously, such a policy invites backstabbing and bad morale. If it is only the prima donnas in the company who get the strokes, your organization will respond by producing more prima donnas. If it is the team players who are rewarded, your organization will produce lots of collaborators. Number 2. Assign responsibility for group morale to the group itself. Peer pressure is always more successful than pressure from the top, so impress on the people in your committee or your family that part of their job is creating the right mood. That way, everyone is accountable for the level of morale. In short, you have taught them to be motivators. Number 3. Plan occasions when people can be away together. A curious thing happens when you take a group of people away from their ordinary surroundings. They become more creative, more open to new ideas, and they form strong bonds with each other rather quickly. So good leaders often take a day or two with their group at some location where they can cement their relationships undistracted by regular routines. I often speak at meetings of law or accounting partners at resort areas where the firm has wisely retreated for a few days of regrouping, airing their objectives and problems, and getting better attuned to each other. When sales organizations want to weld their people into an enthusiastic group, they invite them to a hotel and a weekend of meetings. Comparing notes and joining in high-energy group sessions, they discover a camaraderie that did not exist in their casual contact with each other in the office. Because they are together without any opportunity to talk to other people and get pulled down by some pessimistic voice, all competition for their energies has been excluded. Number 4. Assign high value to communication. More often than not, when a group is fractured and people begin to fight each other, it is because of misunderstandings and small acts of inconsideration which have escalated into major grievances. In the next chapter, I will suggest some ways to eliminate intramural squabbling, but one way to head it off early is to make sure that there are regular opportunities for talk among the members. Families, for instance, need to do lots of communicating. It is a simple courtesy to leave notes on the kitchen counter telling the rest of the family where you've gone and when you expect to be back. Such habits are simple, but they do much to smooth the intercrossings which we must regularly make with one another. Many of us hate business meetings and committee meetings, but as much as we dislike them and as little as they sometimes may seem to accomplish, it is very important to give people an opportunity to talk about their activities, ask questions, and test future plans on each other. There is nothing that makes us feel shut out of a group faster than to discover that other members have been informed about a topic when we have been left in the dark. Organizations fracture when information is dispensed primarily by the grapevine. 
for the grapevine is notoriously discriminatory. Certain people will know, and others will not, and the people who are left out are certain to be malcontents.